Are you back home from Greece? Yeah, I'm back. And I'm so glad that we pre-recorded the last episode because the Wi-Fi situation in the location where I was staying at was really, really bad. So it would have been a nightmare to um, to record or yeah, just to talk to each other over Skype or FaceTime audio. That would have been pretty bad. Let alone downloading the files and uploading them to the server and everything. That would have been pretty bad. So I'm glad we did this. We got this out of the way. Um, but sure enough, we missed something because we, you know, we recorded the podcast before some before some news was released, and someone on Twitter, I don't remember what it was about, but someone was like, "Why didn't you talk about this in the last episode of Let's Talk iOS?" And I was like, "Well, because it was recorded three days before the news actually <laughs> happened." <laughs> well, we banked a couple episodes, right? It was. And and one ended up being because you had to go to the hospital for your uh, appendectomy. And then the second one was because you were traveling in Greece. And yeah, I can't remember or I can't imagine what that's like uh, because I know we were talking a little bit and you were looking something up for me, um, some accounts up for me or something online. And you were like, it, like 45 minutes later, you text me and you're like, uh, I'm still looking these up. This is how bad the internet is. <laughs> Dude, the, the, uh, some very simple pages to load, uh, like a Google search, which is really a good test of uh, an internet connection to me. Like I just Google test or whatever, testing or whatever. And it would take like several minutes to just load up the page sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes it was fine, you know, and, and, uh, and sometimes it was just horrendous. So, so I mostly relied on my, uh, 4G connection over there, which is nice because I think there is a law in Europe where it might be just France, but I believe it's also in, in the whole European Union. When you have a cell phone plan with a local carrier like me in France, for example, um, that local carrier has that French carrier in my example has to give you access to your phone or your line, your plan inside of Europe, in, in Europe. So I can make like unlimited phone calls and text messages, you know, to people, to countries inside Europe. And I also have a data allotment of, uh, in my case, five gigabytes of data that I can use each month internationally. Uh, so it, or in all Europe and some other countries, maybe like in the United States, maybe in Mexico or something. So it's, it's really, really generous. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. Like, all in all, like Europe is so much in advance on, or um, in advance of the United States for that kind of stuff. Like they're, I don't know, they're just more advanced, you know. Yeah, they have been for a while yeah. in terms of pricing across the board, right? They were the first ones to get rid of the subsidies. Um, I think they stayed unlimited for longer, or uh, maybe never went away from unlimited. And I've always heard like the pricing tiers, you know, like oh yeah, you'll get. 100 gigabytes of data per month, you know, in your in your home country, but you'll get that kind of data allotment for dollars, you know, where in the US you're going to get charged. I mean, most if you go with one of the four major car carriers in the US, you're going to pay 70 plus dollars for unlimited. And if you're on one of the bigger two like AT&T or Verizon, your bill's going to be close to 100 bucks even if it's just you. Yeah, it's uh it's what I like to call a ripoff. <laughs> so I told you before, right? My, my plan in, in France, I have two plans. Uh, the main one that I use is nine ninety nine a month, and I get fifty gigs of data, unlimited text and calls. You know, it's a given, uh, including text and calls in Europe. Uh, five gigs of data internationally to use each month for 
10 bucks a month. And I have another plan that's even more outrageous. Uh, it's I think now it's 99 cents a month. It used to be 199. Now I think it's because I get a new one. It's 99 cents a month <laughs> for for 12 months. After that, it's uh, 19.99. But for 12 months, uh, it's 99 cents, and I get unlimited data in France, 25 gigs of data internationally in in Europe and uh, in some countries like the United States for sure, Mexico, Canada, and stuff like this. So I mean, like you, you can't beat it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's one of these like private. Uh, how do you call this? Kind of like Groupon kind of thing, the equivalent of Groupon. Let's call it. Um, and it's only valid for twelve months. But at the end of twelve months, I can do what I did last month: is was cancel the line, and just reopen a new line for the new price, which this time was ninety nine cents. So you can, you know, you change the phone number and everything, but I don't care because it's more like a burner phone for when I travel. So I have like cheap international data to use. Um, so, I mean, like compare this to what we were paying my, my wife and I for AT&T. We, my wife and I had, we were sharing five gigabytes, five, five gigs a month, uh, unlimited text and call inside US. We were paying over a hundred bucks, I think, with AT&T. It might have been like 105 or 110 it's just just insane what you get in the US um and what you get in the rest of the world mostly um compared compared to the US right yeah to be fair uh, i think prices have come down a little bit especially now that they've uh carriers have kind of started readding unlimited uh plans it was so funny how long i fought you know scratched and clawed to keep my grandfather's unlimited plan with AT&T and i think i ended up just rolling it over into the new unlimited plan and um, so now they've started, and I think Sprint and T-Mobile, and that might be the topic that that person on Twitter was talking That's about. It. Sprint and T-Mobile yeah. announced the announced that they're you know after years of talking, they said, hey, we we think we reached a deal to merge. Obviously, there's a lot of regulatory uh, approval pending, but um, I would make it to where there's just three major carriers. So you've got Verizon, which has been top dog for a long time, just in subscribers and, and network strength, and then you have uh, AT and T right there behind them. And then you've had, you know, it was Sprint and T-Mobile for a long time. I think within the last couple of years, T-Mobile has surpassed Sprint in in a lot of metrics. But uh, with them combining, that's now three, you know, if that goes through, that's three major carriers in the U.S. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for consumers. But I have no doubt that T-Mobile and Sprint, their they're kind of scrappiness and, and their willingness to uh, uh, discount and offer unlimited and do away with subsidies, things like that, that's really changed the game in favor uh, of consumers here, uh, uh, wireless consumers here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I didn't. <laughs> I feel like we could talk about that for a long time, but our show notes are already really full here. Uh, not sure we want to add anything else. So uh, let's just jump into this. The iMac has turned 20 years old, right? The uh, anniversary of the the first iMac that Steve Jobs unveiled, uh, uh, 20 year anniversary, and this is kind of a big deal, right? Um, even if you're, you know, not a desktop Mac user. Uh, or, you know, it feels like you could attribute a lot of Apple's success to the iPhone or the iPod and you can, but really this, this felt like a moment, right? When, when Steve Jobs unveiled the first iMac, it was right after his return to Apple and it was this all in one machine. It was beautiful, uh, and, uh, powerful. And it just, I think it really represented, okay, Apple's focused now. Apple's ready to go. We're, we're on our design mission. And uh, this kind of kickstarted everything. So when you think about Apple being the most profitable com- company in the world, uh, uh, this 
is definitely a big, you know, a significant part of that, a significant factor. So, uh, question for you. I know you started IDB on a netbook, or at least you were running it on a netbook for, for a long time there. Was your, uh, was your first, uh, Mac purchase? I want to say it's a MacBook Air, but I could be wrong. Uh, I was trying to think about it. Uh, when I put this in the show notes earlier, I was like, what one, what was my first, uh, com- my first Mac? Was it like a MacBook or a MacBook Air or was it an iMac? And I think my first, uh, Mac computer was an iMac and, I remember buying it and then like five days later or something, Apple comes up with a new iMac. <laughs> you know, I was, I was not following like the Mac news as much as I am now. I was mostly, you know, into iPhone stuff. That was really uh, what the site was about. And that was only my interest. Um, but I remember like specifically buying, and I'm pretty sure it was an iMac, buying the Mac and then, like five days later, Apple comes up with a new Mac, iMac, and I'm like, "Gah!" So I just, um, I just went back to the store and I was like, "Hey, I bought this a few days ago, um, but uh, you just released a new one. Can I, can I exchange it?" And they were like, "Oh yeah, sure. We'll take it back. We're gonna give you back your money, and then you can buy this new iMac that's now available." Uh, so that was um, very uh, pretty cool, and I guess that was part of their 14-day, you know, return policy uh, kind of thing. Um, but beyond that, I think I've uh, I've told the story before, and very recently, actually, when we ta- when we were talking about me running ITB on my uh, what was it? Uh, what kind of netbook was it? Uh, it was not the Sony Lenovo. Well, that was a Lenovo um, netbook. Um, I remember like being travel, you know, traveling and having to deal with that that computer, and and before then I didn't want to buy a Mac um, because I had uh, played with some of them before, and I just wasn't my mindset was not on this. Like I was like, this is not for me. Like I don't want, I don't want to have my photos stuck, kind of stuck in iPhoto. I don't want to have to be kind of stuck in this ecosystem because you're kind of all when you move to the Mac, right? I mean, I know it's much more open than it used to be now and, and you have workarounds to not be stuck uh, in, the, in the Apple ecosystem, but mostly you're more stuck when you use a Mac than when you use a PC computer. So I remember like being very much against it. But then after traveling for several months and having to deal with this Lenovo netbook and all the worst that Windows had to offer, and especially on this tiny machine, it was small. It was like kind of a powerful device for its size, um, but it was still like very small. And every like every everything felt like painful to me. Like every update, every. Uh, app freezing or every app crashing felt like an update. And I remember like a few months um, within our trip, I told my wife, I was like, when we go back to the US, the first thing I do is buy a Mac. I'm done with PCs. I'm done with that crap. And um, uh, that was one of the first thing we did when we returned to the US. Well, the first thing was buying an iPad, the new the new iPad, and then buying um, buying the the iMac. And I never looked back ever since. I mean, I know I, 
I sometimes bitch and complain about the Mac in general, especially now that I just have a MacBook Pro. Um, you know, it's not perfect, but it is still miles ahead of my previous experience and some very recent experiences I've had like dealing with PCs and stuff at my parents' house, for example. It's just, it's not even something I would consider, you know, like going back to using a Windows PC, like that's completely out of uh, out of the equation. And I guess that's why sometimes I, I'm so critical of Apple or the Mac specifically, because it is, I feel like, if you take the Mac away or if the Mac is not perfect, like I'm kind of now I'm stuck. Like I, I don't want to go back to anything else. Like I don't want to use a PC. Like I want the Mac, any Mac, iMac, MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, you know, the MacBook. I want any of them to be to be as close to perfect as possible, because to me, using any other platform is not an option. Like I, I just don't feel like I'm ready or uh, frustrated enough to to move to any other platform. I guess that's why sometimes I'm kind of critical. I just care a lot about the Mac, and and that's how I make my livelihood. That's that's what I use every day. Um, that's uh, you know, despite the iPad being more and more competent in what it does, like this is still the iPad is still far, far, far away from. Uh, being a replacement to me in my personal experience in my in my you know day to day workflow, um, the, the the Mac the the iPad is just not there yet, and I don't think it's going to be for a very long time. Um, so yeah, I care about the Mac. Um, I think I think it's safe to say that it changed you know it's changed my life. Like all I mean, Apple has changed my life in many many ways. I mean, most uh, probably. Uh, obvious one is that, you know, that's how you and I make money. That's how I've been making money for 10 years. That's how you've been making money for uh, six or seven years, eight years, maybe even. Um, so, you know, we, we have all the good reasons in the world to care about the Mac. Um, but enough talking, like, do you remember your first Mac and what was it? Was it an iMac? Do you remember like what drove you to the transition? Because I assume you went for a transition from a, from a Windows PC like most people before? I, I, re I remember my first Mac was a MacBook Pro. And I couldn't tell you the year. I want to say like 2009, 2010. It was definitely after they switched to the, uh, you know, like the, the aluminum unibody type design. So what happened was I, you know, all through high school, um, I used, uh, like PC. Well, I, personally, I had a PC. My very first computer ever was an IBM. Um, and, uh, at, you know, after four or five years of that, I got one. I actually built one. Um, I built a PC out of components and everything, and it was pretty powerful for its time. I was playing games on it and things like that. So when you looked over, anytime you looked over in the Mac direction, you always read like, oh, you can't do much gaming on it. Oh, there's not a lot of software available. So that's how I kind of looked at it for a few years. Then when I was in college, I, uh, I was working at an Applebee's and, uh, a buddy named Greg, there's no way he's listening to this, but Greg, if you are, yeah, I'm talking about you. Um, he, uh, he brought in a brand new black MacBook, not a pro, but the matte black, uh, MacBook. Um, and I just, I thought it was the coolest thing. He was showing me all the stuff it did. He showed me photo booth. He showed me, 
uh, what Safari looked like, and I thought it was the coolest thing. So I immediately went home, eBayed it, you know, or or whatever I would have used to look it up, and I thought, okay, what's the lowest price I can get one of these things for, and how could I make enough money to get one? Because I had it set. I was like, I'm going to get a Mac. This thing looks exactly like something I would want or need. I was all, already kind of a tech head. I had had several Nokia smartphones by that time, and anyways... Uh, I did not get one right away though. I had this, you know, for college, basically I had this compact, you know, uh, laptop that kind of took a design cue from the MacBook. Like it had a, it was silver and, and fairly thin for what a Windows laptop would have been back then. And I liked it enough. So, um, I used that for a while. I don't think it was until, you know, either right before or right after I got my first iPhone that I was like, you know what? This now's the time to get the Mac. Uh, because they'll sync up perfectly together. And uh, so, yeah, it was a MacBook Pro. Um, I can't remember if I ordered it online or if I walked in the store and bought it. I feel like that's something I would have ordered online because even back then I would have been deal hunting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I'm, I feel like I ordered the MacBook Pro online. I got it and boom, I had my first Mac. And I want to say that was probably back in 2008, 2009 maybe. And, uh, yeah, so, and I've made it a habit ever since. I've only had MacBooks. I've actually never owned an iMac myself. And I, uh, uh, and probably every, every two years I trade the MacBook Pro in for a newer model. So the one I'm currently using, 2016, late 2016, I believe, uh, model. So I'll probably be looking to switch it out this year. And as you were talking, I looked into my Instagram feed because I remember that the very first picture I posted on Instagram had a picture of my Mac. I remember that. <laughs> and I looked up and it was posted on November 3rd, 2010. And there is a picture of a box of a MacBook Pro. So my first Mac was not an iMac. My first Mac was a MacBook Pro like you. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, hanging in the back of the picture here. Total picture for a first Instagram picture. <laughs> Caption is trying Instagram for the first time. <laughs> you know, I've gone back in my Instagram and kind of curated things. So I know I've deleted pictures over the years, but I feel like my very first picture for Instagram was a picture of fireworks, like these huge uh, artillery shell fireworks. And I think my caption was like, go boom or something like that, or boom, just all caps. And you deleted and I really, this? Like I said, I feel like I've since deleted it, but it, I did it. I, I, I took a picture of these uh, firework things and I put a filter on it, like a really heavy filter to make the fireworks look even cooler. And uh -huh. so it's either that, or I know, I, I know one of my first pictures was a picture of, uh, of, uh, of a PS4 controller, PlayStation four controller. And I think I said King of the sticks or something for the caption. <laughs> oh, anyways. Um, so to kind of bring this full circle, iMac turns 20, I know we didn't really spend much time talking about the iMac <laughs> itself, but go back and uh, uh, Christian has posted some videos in this in our, in our post that's going to be in the show notes about this. And it's really kind of cool to look back and see again. You got to think the Apple was really nothing before this, you know, particularly before Steve Jobs made his return, which was just a few years before this. They were bankrupt. They were months away from just going under and never coming back. And so what they were able to do, uh, particularly with the iMac, and I believe that was one of the first products that Johnny Ive was directly yeah. re responsible for designing. Yeah. Um, 
this is a big deal. This, this iMac is a big deal. It's translucent. It was beautiful. Again, it was all in one, fairly powerful for, for what it was and, and cheap enough that I know I remember schools buying it in, in uh, large quantities uh, to put in their labs and stuff. So pretty cool. Um, next up we have here, I know you're just dying to talk about this. It's uh, Ming-Chi Kuo is moving on, moving on up. I don't know if he's moving on up. Maybe it's parallel, but for some reason, him and, and KGI Securities have decided to part ways, and uh, he is uh, going to move on to – let me see here. I thought – did it say? No, it say which, we just know uh, uh, it's most likely not going to be covering Apple much anymore in the future, and I think that's really what matters most in this piece of news um right because i mean mixi quote has been responsible for covering and i guess we can maybe say leaking um or revealing i guess in like very um very accurate information about future product developments at apple through his connection in the supply in the supply chain um, so right. he's not typically the guy who's going to tell you the next iPhone is going to, you know, next iOS version is going to have this core feature, but he's more like of a hardware kind of guy for his connections. So he might be able to tell you, well, the next iPhone is going to use this kind of screen uh, technology or the next iPhone is going to have that type of camera. And that's what he's been really accurate about. And I know, I know he's not like his track record might not be 100%. But I think as far as analysts go, he is the one that you can trust the most, right? When he says something, um, you listen because you know that he is very accurate um, in his, his, not so much prediction, but in his revelations through his contacts in, in the supply chain. Right. Yeah, I mean, if he says something... I, I, I 100% buy into it. Now, because we've been doing this for so long, I know that things can change. Um, you know, Apple can make product changes. They can just be, you know, experimenting with things, building prototypes. But if he says something, I think him or his sources have seen it. Like, it's there. We just don't know what's going to make it to the light of day and, and to the public's eye and what's not. Um, he's that accurate. And it's really not just been Apple. Uh, one of the more... Uh, you know, uh, memorable scoops for me is when he nailed Amazon's Fire Phone. I I, I know this was a, a, a failure by all intents and purposes uh, as a consumer product, but when you know when there was hype building up around it, Amazon had just really started to gain traction as this behemoth of a tech company. Everybody says they're building a phone, and it had some really wild features. It had you know multiple cameras. It was going to do this 3D effect based on face tracking. And he nailed the exact number of cameras, the resolution. Um, he got everything basically right. And it was months before Amazon ever thought about unveiling it. So um, he's been doing it across a lot of tech companies. His focus has definitely been Apple. And uh, like you said, he's been super accurate in, in this space as well. So, uh, you know, as somebody who likes tech surprises, I can kind of go, okay, maybe we'll see what happens now. Who's going to break all the scoops? But as somebody who is... Uh, also like kind of being in the know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of that was because of this, this dude. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's safe to expect much less, um, revelations about future 
Apple products or features, rather uh, hardware features going forward. Um, I don't think that's the kind of guy that can be easily replaced because uh, you might have a very talented analyst uh, taking his job at KGI, but um, he's, you know, Mick Chiquel is going to leave with his contacts and his sources um, at, at uh, manufacturers and stuff like this. It's not like he's going to leave his Rolodex on the desk or export a file of all his contacts and leave that for the next person to take his job. Um, so I, I think it's safe to assume that we're going to see much, much less uh, information about future Apple um, hardware features in the future. Right. It's uh, This guy's been kind of a mystery over the years, right? For somebody who breaks as, as much Apple news as he does, you would have, think, you would have thought that, you know, like a, a New York Times or a Bloomberg or somebody would have been able to get a scoop with him, you know, or an interview with him and say, hey, meet the guy who's uh, ruining Apple's surprises or something to that effect. But you just, I, you know, and I haven't done a whole lot of digging on this because you weren't expecting this guy to be leaving the company this past week. Uh, but... Uh, over the years, I don't know a whole lot about him. Like I'm just now learning that uh, he at one point in time worked for Concord Securities. That's a a, a popular firm that I hear pop up on uh, uh, Apple earnings calls uh, quite a bit in, in the conference or the Q and A section. And then he also worked for Digitimes, which is a, a publication that is known for not super, not being super accurate. Right? They just kind of throw a lot of stuff at the wall, and sometimes stuff sticks, and sometimes stuff doesn't. Um, and uh, in fact, this is probably the first picture I've seen of him. So he's been kind of this secret myth person. And uh, KGI, I believe, is one of the top couple, you know, if not the top uh, research firm uh, in uh, in I don't know if it's Taiwan or I think so. Yeah, it is. And it's uh, uh, so I wonder where he's going. You know, is there a is there a higher paying job somewhere? Did you know, did Apple contact him and say, hey, we're doubling down on security, so you know you either need to stop doing what you're doing. I just wonder what what could have happened to make him switch it up. Was he just bored? He's like, eh, I'm tired of breaking Apple news. I'm ready to go break uh, Tesla news or or something to that effect. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll ever see in the future if we hear uh, about him um, breaking news. Or it's I guess it's not, the term news doesn't really apply here because it's just sending notes to some of his clients, right? So he's just analyzing Apple and what Apple does and the business of Apple. And uh, is, I mean, I guess he's a money guy. He's like a banker, more like a banker guy than anything else, right? That's And he sends his research notes to his, um, to his clients who base um, their, investments. their investments or their decisions or would just like to know what Apple is doing uh, based on his research and most likely other firms' research. Um, so I don't know. We we might hear from him again for maybe the next Facebook phone or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you re- yeah, you forget there's been a couple of those too. Um, yeah, I, I think people out there wonder what does analysts do? Like what are, what is his job? And I think you you did a pretty good job of describing it. You've got to think that there are people out there with a lot of money. And those people who have a lot of money, they want to make even more a lot of money. And so they want to invest their a lot of money in a place where it's going to grow. And so somebody like Minchi Kuo go, you know, uh, does his research, talks to his sources, gets some idea and says, hey, I've just learned that 
in six months, Apple's going to release the most cutting edge smartphone you've ever seen with two cameras on the back and a, a depth sensing camera on the front that's going to let you unlock your phone with your face. And it's going to sell like gangbusters. We're predicting 50 million units in the first six months. And then so me and all my money go, whoa, that sounds awesome. I bet Apple's going to grow after that. And so I dump my money into Apple stock and, and there you go. So that's going to give you a, yeah, just a rough sketch kind of deal of, of what a, an analyst like him does. Yep. And I think it's going to it's not only going to impact our business on the news side, but it's, it's probably going to impact some of the economy side, too. Yeah. Uh, for people that were investing based on his predictions that were mostly correct. Yeah, and other companies too, because not not I I I don't think everybody um, becomes one of his clients or one of uh, KGI Securities clients for investment purposes. But you can imagine that there is like all the Samsungs of the world competitive advantage. Exactly, yeah. they want to know exactly what everybody is doing in the industry and uh, and you know getting this research. Uh, notes from people like uh, Ming Chi Kuo and, and his colleagues and other people doing the same job is very, very valuable information, not so much for investment, but for just for knowing what's what's going on, you know, like keeping pace uh, and maybe maybe moving your company in stirring the company in a different direction, depending on what Apple does or what XYZ company is doing and is being reported on. Right. Yeah. When you put it in, when you look at it through that lens uh, it really, you could really see uh, a scenario playing out where Apple, you know, uh, one of their Gestapo's showed up at uh, Ming Chi Kuo's door and made him an offer he couldn't refuse. Like, hey, bub, you need to quit this, quit this racket. <laughs> um, hopefully, we hear more about uh, where he's headed and, and what he's on to next, though. So, uh, somebody I don't know very well, I'm, I'm a fan. I hope he l- lands somewhere. He's he's uh, happy there. Mm-hmm. Uh. Follow up here. Okay, a couple of iPhone next gen iPhone rumors um, in the past week, and uh, I don't know. There, let me know what you think about this. So one of them is that uh, Apple may not bundle the Lightning to headphone jack adapter in the next iPhone. And I'll go ahead and read the other one, but we'll talk about this one first. The other one is um, that Apple may bundle a fast charging adapter. Um, with the next iPhone. So anyways, uh, the first one, Lightning to Headphone Jack Adapter. I got to tell you, I've used that particular adapter all of two times since the whole time that I've owned uh, my iPhone 10. And actually, I guess they they pulled the headphone jack before that. So even on the iPhone 7 Plus, um, I've used it all of two times. In the whole year and a half, I've owned headphone jackless. Uh, wait, was the iPhone 7 headphone jackless as well? Yes. Oh wow. Okay. So we're we're going back like 2 years. I've used that thing maybe twice. And you know, every person's different. You may have a a pair of an expensive pair of uh I don't know, what's a really good brand? Like Sennheiser or Bang & Olufsen or something. You may have this really expensive pair of headphones that are wired and pulling your hair out that you have to use this adapter and the the next iPhone might not come with it. But as somebody who's been using Bluetooth headphones, you know, Beats Power Beats 2, um, now I've got the AirPods. I just, this means almost nothing to me. Like literally, like I, this is, this would not affect me in the smallest bit. What about you? Yeah, I think I've used my adapter twice. I traveled with it every time because, uh, the two times I used it was on an airplane flight where for some reason Bluetooth was not allowed. So I don't know if it's like a US thing or if it's like a, uh, international flights thing because I know when I flew to Greece last week, 
nobody told me anything about my having Bluetooth device, my uh, AirPods on. But sometimes, I guess that happened once or twice before to me, where they said, no, you can't have Bluetooth device on the flight at all. It's not just like during landing and takeoff. It's just at all. So I was glad I had my adapter. And now I always travel with it just in case I must, um, just in case I can't use my, uh, my AirPods. But it's not something that I will miss. Um, <clears throat> I think that's not something that most people will miss. I mean, we've talked about this before, especially uh, when Apple first first dropped the the headphone jack. You know, we kind of came to the consensus that most people, like the vast majority of people, just use the headphones that come packaged with their iPhone. So it doesn't matter to them what kind of uh, port it uses as long as it's, you know, plugged in, basically. And uh, so I, I think I think this is going to be like a non-story. Like it's not going to be a big problem going forward. Um, and I personally couldn't really care less. Yeah, I'm reading through the comments on this post and uh, uh, someone said... Uh, uh, what about us living in countries without Apple stores or who just want to use normal headphones without paying extra? That's a fair point. I mean, uh, it's, I always, you know, try to keep, uh, keep it in my mind that I kind of live in a bubble, right? I have these yeah. nice AirPods. It's wireless, da, 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 da. And that may not be the case for everyone. You almost, you know, I don't know if it's common sense or something tells me if you were able to purchase one of these newer iPhones with no headphone jack, you've probably got, I mean, we do daily deals sometimes where Bluetooth headphones are under 20 bucks. But, you know, I, I won't pretend that this goes for everybody. So I know that there are going to be some people upset. And if you want to look at this on the flip side, you uh, you got to wonder why Apple would think that it needs to shave this. What's got to be 30 cents, you know, off its margins. I can't imagine these adapters cost Apple much to mass produce, right? Yeah. I mean, there's got to be there. There probably is some intelligent electronics in here, right? Some complex things going on that allow you to, um, uh, you know, convert the signal or whatever they're doing, handshake friendly to uh, uh, pass the audio through this adapter through to the headphones. But I don't know. I, I just wonder why if this is really gonna. And keep in mind, this is a rumor. Um, but uh, if this were to materialize, you've got to wonder why. You know, why did they feel like they couldn't spend the extra 30 cents or even if it's you know 90 cents if it's almost a dollar it just seems like something minuscule but i guess when you're selling hundreds of millions of units that that cost can really add up yeah and i, I think more importantly than that it just sends a message to keep if you keep the we're all in like, on wireless yeah. well if you yeah if you if you get rid of it the message is we're all in on wireless um and if you keep it it's like well we've been saying we're all in on wireless but not really you know, like you have like one foot in the door and the other inside the house. So it's just uh, outside the house. So it's just, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I think it would be foolish to expect Apple to package the the lightning to headphone jack adapter forever with the iPhone. Um, you know, it's been, it's going to be two years now because I think the first one was the iPhone uh, 7. So it's going to be two years in September uh, that they've gotten rid of the headphone jack. So I, you know, it, it, I I feel like time has come, you know. And if it's not this year, it might be next year or whatever. But I feel like I feel Apple has given everybody ample time, you know, a couple of years. If it happens this year, I feel like it would it would be fair from Apple to do 
to you know to have given that time to to people to adjust. And yes, that's right. something that you will be able to buy for nine dollars as a as a, an add-on, you know, and maybe that's something they can do when you buy your iPhone on Apple.com, you know, like, oh, you selected an iPhone 11. Do you also want to buy this headphone jack adapter for $9? Yes or no? You know, I know I'd be choosing no if I'm given the option. Yeah, you said it perfectly. Two years is is a is a ample amount of time. That's a good buffer for people to make this transition. You just, you don't hear about the no headphone jack really being a problem anymore. People have gotten used to it. Other manufacturers have started to do it. We're in a wireless future now. People catch up. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, what's a, quite a bit more exciting to me is that uh, Apple might bundle faster charging uh, adapters with uh, the next iPhone. And this is something just – this is very comparable to wireless charging for me because Android and other manufacturers, they've been on this for a long time. And Apple's just been kind of ignoring it. And it feels like they're kind of far behind in this sense. Now, you've always been able to fast charge. Well, not always, I don't think. But in recent years, you've been able to fast charge an iPhone with an iPod or an iPad adapter. And so I've always tried to do that because there's a significant difference. And I think they've even made like the most recent uh, iPhone model or two fast charging to the point where, you know, it, it just takes a lot less time to charge those up. But the fact that they would charge or uh, include an actual adapter that could really get you going uh, right out of the box because they haven't done this yet uh, is a pretty big deal to me. So they're talking about 18 watts of power. And uh, I'm terrible with these numbers. I don't know what the current adapter is. Uh, five uh, I think it's five watt. Yeah. yeah, I think it's five watt. So we're talking about more than tripling the power here. That's a huge deal. And again, as somebody who feels like Apple's been kind of slacking in the uh, whole uh, wireless charging, faster charging area, uh, I would love for this to to come true and uh, to see a bigger, uh, more powerful adapter in the iPhone box. Yeah. Have they been slacking, though, in the wireless charging area or have they just been careful? If, if Okay, so if they would have came out with some sort of proprietary and improved method of wireless charging last year, if they would have said, we, we have this new new method, it's not uh, Qi or whatever it is, it's uh, bloopity bloop. This is our bloopity bloop charging method, and it goes 50 watt, and it's, and it's perfectly safe, and there's, you don't have to worry about where the contacts are. Like... If they would have came out with a better solution, I would have said they were being careful. They waited till they could perfect it or till the technology caught up. But they came out with the same old Qi charging that everybody's had. And not only that, their fast version of that is, I believe, 7 or 7.5 watts. Yeah. Everybody else is still in 10 watts. So mm-hmm. my vote would definitely be that they slacked here. Well, okay. Here is me putting my hat of Apple Defensor. Which I, (laughs) when you expect me to be piling on an apple (laughs) for that, I'm like, no, I'm actually going to take their defense this time around. I was actually a man of many hats. Yeah, I was thinking about it this weekend. um, And I was like, are they, did they really slack or were they just very careful? And I think the answer is that they were just very careful. They just, I think, wanted to take their time and figure out where was this chi charging going was it going to be a new standard like bluetooth or was it going to be something like a fad something that a few or maybe a lot of android uh, makers uh, were going to be baking into their products uh, but something that 
would not be maintained or that would not be improved uh, over the years and would maybe eventually die out. Or maybe would it would be like a, a technology that is not safe. You know, like, so I feel like if I try to rationalize this, this decision of Apple to take so long to, to implement wireless charging in their products and mostly the iPhone really, um, I'm thinking they just were very careful. They wanted to make sure that this was a standard that was here to stay, that was going somewhere, that was being worked on, and that was uh, most, important, most importantly probably safe for users to use because they probably don't want to make headlines for having an iPhone burst into flames, you know? And when if you want to have enough um, feedback and you have to wait several years for this and, and sit back and look at, you know, look at the data, look at what's going on for several years. And at some point, you know, they probably realized, okay, now we know like it's safe. Uh, it's going somewhere. Now we're ready to implement this in our products because technically speaking, that, w- that was probably very easy. For, that would have been very easy for Apple to do this three years ago. Right. I mean, just, uh, maybe the phones would have been a little heavier, maybe a little thicker, but they could have done it. There was nothing, um, technologically speaking, that was just restraining them. That was just them um, restraining themselves and, I believe, making sure it was safe and um, and now ready, mature enough to be implemented in their products. And, uh, uh, you know, from a user's point of view, it sucks that we just got uh, wireless charging a few months ago with iPhone 10. Um, but from a business perspective, you know, when you put the Apple hat on, you work at Apple and you're the money guy over there and it, it makes sense. You want to, you want, you want to make sure that you're, you're making the right decision. And Apple is not a company that rushes into things, right? They're not known for rushing into things. Um, so I think it's very much in line with the company's, um, uh, I don't know. Usual behavior. Yeah, usual yeah. behavior as you know as far as technology goes. Yeah, you know, you make you make a couple of decent points. What what I would argue is I'm looking up here on uh on Google, LG delivers the first Qi enabled uh wireless charging phone. This we're in January of 2011. So you're talking about almost 7 years from First, first inception, not idea inception, but first actual consumer product on the market. It just feels like that's a long time. Like they had a lot of time to say, "Hey, this is going to be safe." Um, so I don't know. It's tough. I definitely see like your your side of it, but it just feels like almost too long. I know they were not first to four G LTE, but they weren't seven years behind. Right. Um, so I, it's it's tough because we don't know what they were thinking. Were they trying to build their own wireless technology? You know, were they? Did they see it as this isn't really wireless if you've got to plug the wireless charging pad in? And they were trying to develop their own, you know, near field wireless technology and they just couldn't get it right in time to where they finally caved and said, okay, we'll go this route for now. Or were they spacing out features? You know, I would be interested to see how those conversations went. Like, let's space out our features like this to, to maximize our, our, our smartphone cells, you know? So, I mean, we could speculate on that all day. I'm just saying um, it would be interesting to, to know or to hear what, what was the reason behind the seven-year delay in the wireless charging. Mm-hmm. And and how we got here was through the fast charging. Um, do you think this comes true? Do you think we see a faster, just knowing Apple kind of and 
and how they uh, work. Do you think we see an 18 watt uh, power adapter in the box this year? Um, I don't know. 18 <laughs> sounds like pretty extreme to me. Um, what I'm almost most confident about would be to have a USB C plug on the power brick. Uh, rather than a USB-A uh, plug, which is also part of the rumor, right? I mean, we're, we're just right. talking about the, the wattage of the charger, uh, but also it might be USB-C to lightning uh, cable. So this, I'm much more confident than the 18 watts of power. Like that sounds... Uh, and again, like you, that's not something that I'm uh, very uh, knowledgeable about, um, but that sounds almost a little bit extreme um so i don't know i don't know i don't i, I I'll, I'll take this one with a grain of salt the usb-c to lightning cable um no I, I won't need my grain of salt with this one i think again just like dropping the um the headphone jack adapter i feel like now it's time you know like they've introduced usb-c laptops uh when was that? Three years ago with the the new MacBook? Uh, yeah, the 12-inch Retina yeah. MacBook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, after that with the with the MacBook Pros in 2016. Um, so I think, again, you know, it's it's time now. We've had enough time and we can move on from that. And, and I'd be, you know, as someone who doesn't have a computer with the USB-A port, I would be happy to have a cable with the USB-C to Lightning um, cable to charge my iPhone or my iPad. Right. We'll obviously learn more about this as we get closer to WWDC and actually the fall when when these phones are are uh, expected to come out. Apple's got a tall task here because the iPhone 10 blew so many things out of the water, right? In terms of new features, in terms of uh, innovation. Uh, so you expect just following their previous behavior, you expect this to be just a refinement, right, of the iPhone 10 and some of the technologies introduced there, but. Uh, uh, with no huge changes expected, you've got to think, you know, media and just people, industry watchers in general are really going to hang on these small rumors like fast charging and no headphone uh, jack adapter. So expect to hear more about this stuff over the coming uh, weeks and months. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay. Another pretty big highlight from the week was uh, Apple did their uh, quarterly earnings call, right? Every three months, the company, just like every other public traded company, uh, gets together and they release a report of how their performance was over the three month period. And they hop on a, a conference call and, and talk for a bit. And then they even give, uh, investors and, uh, analysts a chance to ask questions. So they did this on May 1st, which I believe was Tuesday. And, um, it was a pretty good quarter for them. They, they did, uh, they moved 52.2 million iPhones, uh, which, uh, was, up from just 50.8 million a year ago. They made 61.1 billion in revenue, which was up substantially from 52.9 billion in the same quarter a year ago. Uh, iPad sales were up. Mac sales were actually down, but given, you know, the, um, given the percentage, the small percentage that the Mac accounts for Apple's business, you just, it doesn't get paid atten attention to, you know, it, people don't pay attention to that number, um, as much. So the big numbers were the revenue. And the iPhone sells. And honestly, think of how bad the iPad story sounded, let's say, a year ago. Because for the last four quarters, the iPad has seen growth year over year. And that just wasn't the case five or six quarters ago when we were talking about, wow, that's 12 straight quarters of down iPad sales. So they're not back up to where they were in, in its heyday. 
But Apple has definitely made an impact with uh, the new iPad Pros, right? The different sizes of the iPad Pros, as well as the entry-level $300 iPad. Um, so something important uh, to keep an eye on there. Uh, Apple stock rose uh, following not only the, the earnings report, but they announced that they're going to spend another $100 billion uh, buying back stock. And what that says to Wall Street, it says that Apple believes that its stock price is too low. They say, we think it's at a great value right now. We'll happily buy it back at market price. And uh, the less outstanding stock Apple has, the higher their market cap can get. It, it, this is a little insider baseball, and it goes a little over my head. I try to pay attention to this. Obviously, I cover our, I cover the earnings call for IDB. And um, you know, investing just in general is kind of an interest of mine. But it, it does go a little over my head here. Uh, but And they also raise dividends. So dividends are something you get every quarter. And uh, it's a per share thing. I don't know what their I can't think of what their dividend is off the top of my head. But let's say it's ten bucks for every share of Apple you own. You're going to get ten bucks every quarter. So uh, with them raising that and with them announcing the buyback, it just looks like all thumbs up, all green lights for Apple right now. Um, and in and, and a quarter, you've got to think this is the quarter that falls the holiday quarter, which is normally the the home run quarter, right? That's where you break all the records. This is the one where you see how strong iPhone sales really are. And I think, once again, the iPhone X proved to be a stunner. Tim Cook once again said, iPhone X is the best-selling phone week in and week out. And that totally countered what a lot of people were saying were going to be bad iPhone X sales, right? This is the complete opposite of what Wall Street and analysts were predicting in the weeks and months leading up to this, right? How many reports did we see where it was like suppliers are – their stock shares are slipping because they say that Apple has reduced orders, you know, and that just, I don't know if Apple is, you know, trying to become more diverse, right? Trying to spread out more parts and more uh, suppliers across the board. So they don't get bottlenecked in one area, but whatever the case, it wasn't due to slowing iPhone 10 sales because by all the numbers we can see here, they knocked it out of the park. Just quick uh, live follow up here. Like the dividends are like much smaller per share. It's it's like three quarter of a dollar per share. It's about like the latest uh, dividend amount, May first, twenty eighteen, seventy three cents per share. So far <laughs> right. from the ten bucks. I was just well, I know. I just threw out a number. Yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but just to avoid someone coming back and saying, no, it's not ten dollars. It's seventy three cents. Now, right. now you know. So it's been going up. I'm actually looking at the um, history of dividends since uh, 1987, where it was right. at, uh, the first one was six cents, right? And then there's been a huge gap uh, between 95, uh, let's see, between uh, 1995 and 2012, where there was no dividend at all. And then in 2012... Uh, uh, dividend were given again to investors and then there was a stock split you know like the 741 stock split um, and it's been going up uh, pretty steadily ever since and it looks like it's it keeps um, keeps going up but to go back to circle back to what you were saying um, yeah I feel like the what's interesting is the revenue uh, increase and the iPhone increase and the iPad increase so revenue quarter to quarter went up 16%, right? 16% up. Uh, whereas iPhone sales were uh, 3% up and iPad sales were 2% up. Um, so there's still a, a huge gap here, which seems to indicate that w- revenue has been growing despite 
um, unit sales not growing at the same pace, but that indicates that the 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 um, the unit price, the average sales price, has been going up, which indicates that phones like the iPhone X have been selling really, really well because they're you know they're the most expensive devices. Same with the iPad Pro. Um, it looks like this has helped Apple uh, make even more money. Um, so so much for the um, for the the rumors that uh, iPhone X was a flop and that Apple was cutting down production, which I guess is true. Um, I, I, I think there was something in the, I think is look at my history during the call mentioned something that they had way too much inventory of, uh, of iPhone 10 and kind of cut back a little bit, which would explain why we've seen these rumors of Apple is cutting down uh, orders at uh, XYZ supplier indicating the iPhone 10 is a flop. Well, no, maybe I, you know, it seems like Apple overshot a little bit or maybe just wanted to build inventory, um, and and now is starting to slow down. But clearly, clearly, the iPhone X was far from a flop and was actually quite the the contrary. Right. Um, it's Tim Cook made uh, an interesting comment specifically about the iPhone X <laughs> um, that had some people, you know, scratching their heads. It he said. Uh, I think it's one of those things like a team wins the Super Bowl. Maybe you want to them to win by a few more points, but it's a Super Bowl winner. That's how we feel about it. I cannot mm-hmm. be prouder of the product. So he said it's a Super Bowl winner. And uh, again, he's given spe- he said specific things like the iPhone 10 was the best selling device ever, like week to week. So he has said that in the past. But uh, when he says something like uh, you want your team to win by a few more points. Uh, it could match up with what you just said that maybe they were expecting to sell a little more. Maybe they were even more optimistic uh, than even the most optimistic of sales. And so maybe they made too much. They had a little bit too much inventory there. Um, some of the other interesting stuff. I thought this was cool. Or not cool, but interesting. I just didn't want to say interesting like five times in a row. Uh, but uh, on healthcare, Tim Cook said, I don't want to give too much away, but it's an area of great interest that we feel we can uh, – uh, we feel can make a big difference. It's a major strategical area of ours. And, and now, mind you, Tim Cook has long been a proponent of this. Uh, he was the first to, I think, you know, there was an interview uh, in his early days of being CEO where he raised up his sleeve and he had a, a Nike fuel band on, right, before the Apple Watch was even talked about, really. And so he's been these wearables, these trackables, these, you know, health kit rolled out, uh uh, so it'll be it'll be kind of cool to see where Apple goes with this, right? Um, especially when he says it's a major strategical area of ours. We haven't heard much on this front in terms of research kit. You know, every once in a while you hear a cool story like, oh, they measured heart ba- heartbeats and they found it to be ninety seven percent accurate in detecting these heart problems. Every once in a while you hear a really cool story where the Apple Watch saves somebody's life by saying, hey, your heart beats really fast and it doesn't look like you're moving a whole bunch. Uh, so it's definitely one of those under the radar things that I just can't wait to see what what Apple has in store there. Um, also, uh, I remember covering these calls two, maybe two, three years ago when I would put down in the interesting notes or the highlights of the call that Apple had 350 stores or something like that. There are now 502 Apple stores across the world. That just seems like a massive number when you think about where they were not too long ago. Um, App Store also set an all-time revenue in the March quarter. Uh, Apple says that uh, 
Uh, they quoted a study, a research study, 99% customer satisfaction rate among uh, iPhone 8, 8 Plus, and 10 users. And uh, this one was this one's pretty crazy. Apple wearables division up 50% uh, year over year. So think about what that means. And they, they said specifically that includes AirPods, Beats, and Apple Watch. It's up 50%. Now, you've got to think a lot of that is Apple Watch, but I I would be inclined to think that a majority of that is AirPods. What do you think? That's probably the most popular product I've seen. I mean, I see a lot of Apple Watches. Don't get me wrong. I see them all the time, but I am starting to see AirPods multiply on people in the media, in the news, around locally, around town, at the gym. They are starting to multiply. Yeah, um, uh, I do see them everywhere too, um, but not nearly as much as Apple Watches, to be honest. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I've hard to tell, um, but if I had to take a guess uh, based on what I see, uh, and I don't take notes of that, but on based on what I see, I would I would think that Apple Watch is much more popular than AirPods is. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't argue they're both very popular products and ones that I don't think anybody really saw coming as being these massive hits, right? Uh, you could say Apple Watch, you know, there was high expectations, but I want to say there was even those kind of stories of it's a flop or it's too slow or it doesn't have native apps or nobody wants to make apps for it anymore. We've heard a lot of that over the years, but I'll tell you, uh, like you, I see these everywhere. I'll, I'll you know, I think I've probably said this before, but they'll be, I'll be watching a post game interview and the head coach and all of his assistant coaches are wearing Apple watches or the star player has already changed in the locker room and he's got an Apple watch on. Um, I've got a couple of friends that were Fitbit users for a long time and they would, uh, not mock me, but they would just kind of joke around like, Oh, we'll send you an invite to our run this week. And it's like, well, Oh, you can't cause you have an Apple watch. They both just bought Apple watches. Husband and wife just both just bought Apple watches and they love it. They said it's leaps and bounds ahead of, of where their Fitbit was. So I think it, it feels like, it feels like Apple's won that war, right? Maybe just the yeah. battle, not the whole war, but it feels like Apple's won that mm-hmm. this round. And, uh, we'll just have to see what they do next round. But, uh, the final interesting fact here, I want to point out over 270 million paying iTunes users. So Apple doesn't break this out, right? They don't say, this is, you know, everybody's got a Netflix subscription or everybody's got a, you know, Apple Music subscription. But you've got to think this is people with credit cards uh, on file and you've got to think they're active, maybe not daily, maybe not weekly. But these are active paying credit card having users. That's a huge user base of people that uh, are giving Apple money because if they even if they're not buying Apple services, let's say they're doing something through an in-app purchase Apple gets a piece of that. So you really got to keep an eye on this services uh, uh, arm because Apple is a lot bigger and a lot more set up for success here than people give them credit for. Yeah. Just to rebound on the comment of uh, Tim Cook uh, talking about healthcare, saying I don't want to give too much away, but it's an area of great interest that we feel can make a big difference. It's a major strategical area of ours. I just posted a link in the show notes about uh, an article we published in February of this year. So it's fairly uh, recent where Apple is said to be opening two AC wellness medical clinics for employees and their families. This might be the first step of Apple uh, making a big push into um, health and not just health and fitness through Apple Watch and you know trying to have you more active and everything, but in 
literally like health clinics where you can go and get treated for whatever condition you you may have um so i think i think this is the first step here and this is kind of a big deal if this works out um you can you can start to imagine like apple you know if again if, if this works out and that's a big stretch right but you could imagine apple selling like health services or health coverage medical coverage i think there's already like i think i don't know if i'm mistaking it is i don't know if it's amazon or walmart or what it's one of like a big giant that has started creating their own health insurance company basically for their employees so instead of relying on outside providers and paying like huge premiums or whatever for uh being in a plan or group or that kind of stuff. Like they just create their own um, health <laughs> health insurance company for their own employees, and I think that might be something Apple is looking into and and dabbling into and starting with their employees and see where this goes. And and who knows in the future, like start offering. I mean, we're talking like years in the future, starting offering um, health insurance or health services to to you know, customers across the United States and maybe across the world. Uh, again, that's a huge stretch, right? You don't go from making a computer to offering health services. Um, but that might be an area, like like you said, it's a major area of interest. I don't think he means like he wants you to close your rings on your Apple Watch. You know, like I think it goes further than that. And, and this article or, or this initiative from Apple uh, might just give us a hint at what, uh, what Tim Cook means. That reminded me of, uh, I think it was the Palm CEO when the iPhone first launched. This computer company is not just going to walk in and start making cell phones. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, we definitely don't want to waste too much time specu- doing wild speculations, but I kind of agree with you here. I think this is another area Apple's really poised to take over. Big data is going to become a big deal in healthcare, and I almost feel like it's taking too long. Like this, We've had big data for a long time, and... Uh, we should be doing more with it than I think than we are. Maybe Apple's doing a lot more than we think that they are and they're just not showing. But when you have over a billion devices in use, right? That's a billion devices you can anonymously connect uh, or uh, grab data from. So I'm not talking about tracking behaviors. I'm talking about opt-in stuff where if somebody's got diabetes or if somebody's got any kind of other like long-term ailment and you can track what their symptoms are, if you've got an Apple Watch on, you can use those sensors to track heart rate at what time of day after you've eaten what and we've heard about all the the sensors that are rumored for the apple watch right maybe a blood glucose monitor um and and some other things uh other than just heart rate i think there's an opportunity here uh for apple to make a huge play and let's say we have an apple watch that has seven different kind of health sensors on it if you're monitoring those at all times how much more aware are people going to be of their health how much more preventative care can they get preventing major costs and major problems? And think of what that would do to the healthcare game. I think you're not too far off when you say that Apple could have a big hand in healthcare insurance. Maybe they partner with somebody, maybe they offer their own, but I just think it's a lot less expensive when people are actively going for preventative care. And I think that's Apple Watch is a very small first step in that direction. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to say now for our last topic, but I see a big next week <laughs> next to it. So uh, I guess uh, we'll just leave people in suspense and say we have this really cool topic set up for next week. 
You just have to come back next week to listen to it. <laughs> In the next episode of Let's Talk iOS. <laughs> or the old Rocky and Bullwinkle uh, tagline. Will we talk about Sebastian uh, wine problem or? <laughs> well, see, it's about time this show is over because you're breaking up pretty bad right now. I don't know if it's a Texas connection or what that's playing tricks on us, but. Well, yeah, it's been kind of, it's, it's been breaking up a little for me through the whole thing. So that's okay. We'll wrap it up. Um, great show, my friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to uh, meet back next week for this se- super secret topic we have. Shh, it's a secret until next week. <laughs>